0: just go to cars.com It's Magical.
1: Press fans, get up, get up, get up off your seat! Time for you to meet and greet the father who represents the D. Troy has Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, coming to you on a Sunday just after another Lions loss, which at almost any time this has been recorded, that has been true this season. We disappeared on you for a little bit, probably a little like the Pistons bench. That's my second bad sports joke <laughs> of the intro. Uh, but we, uh, we've we got a lot to run down. It's been a couple weeks, so we want to kind of look back at some of the games uh, that have happened recently, uh, mostly focusing on just the last four that happened this week. And then looking at... Um, some questions that came in through the uh, hashtag AskDBB, as well as looking at some individual players and the schedule going forward. So we've got some big things to talk about, and joining me to do so is Ben Golker. How are you, Ben?
0: Doing great. It's good to be back talking some Pistons. Yes,
1: yeah, it's nice to be back. Uh, and in the studio, you know, as much as I enjoy doing it from home because it's it's easy and I can be lazy, um, I like doing it in the studio, too. makes me feel a little more professional. Absolutely. That sounds <laughs> great. Uh, so um, I, I don't know how much um, of the Pistons you've seen recently, Ben. Uh, but over the last four games, uh, just games that were in this uh, this calendar week le- uh, leading up to today's recording, uh, Pistons have gone th- uh, two and two. Started with two losses at Charlotte, and then that home game for Memphis, the Matt Barnes half court shot, <laughs> and then uh, we go out and beat Philly on the road by twelve. And then yesterday, kind of a surprise, but the team looked great. Uh, against Indiana winning 118-96 to put us at 14-11 and actually put us in the last spot of the playoff uh, of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference so of those four games Ben what were the big takeaways with the team what did you see that you liked and what things are you still worried about
0: so I'll tell you one thing that I I like a lot and we talked about this either maybe the last time we had a podcast but the lack of player movement and the lack of ball movement, which was leading to a very predictable and stagnant offense. Over the last, really, two weeks I would say, um, I've seen a lot of changes in that. I've actually seen some set plays being run that appeared designed to address exactly those things to get the ball swinging around the perimeter, uh, to get guys moving, and then the ball moves in response, uh, leading to some open looks. Um, I think we've seen Ilyasova sort of step up as an offensive option. He's had a couple up-and-down games, but I think he's proven that he can be an offensive option, maybe, you know, fourth or or, uh, third or fourth, depending on how Marcus Morris is doing. So those are the two real positives for me. Um, The real negative for me is that, and I know this is going to sound a little bit cliche, but this team seems to play to the level of its competition. So you look at... um, looking back to the the Lakers and yeah, I understand that was kind of a a farewell tour to to Kobe and all of that. Um, But, you know, they have, um, they have the ability to sort of play sloppy when they're playing against a sloppy team uh, and then really play rise to the challenge when they're playing a good team. So I think the, the inconsistency um, you know, that the bucks game going back to early December um, you know, they have, they have the inconsistency problem where they just don't show up some of the time. So on the plus side, it's great to see the offense moving a little better. Mm -hmm. On the downside, uh, the inconsistency, um, you just don't know which team you're going to get from night to night.
1: No, it's so true. And really the Charlotte game, I think, is a perfect example of that inconsistency because early in that game, it was close enough that, especially with the pace and the way that Charlotte plays, I was so shocked to end up losing that game by 20 points, but it was such a a poor second-half uh, turnovers definitely killed the Pistons in that game. Cody Zeller putting up 20 is just something you don't want to see if you want this team to be successful. Uh, but you're right; it was it was actually a good game for Ilyasova, who has definitely stepped into his role, uh, providing some offense. Um, but I think the other thing, uh, it, even though I see, I you're right, the inconsistency is a negative. One thing I saw as a positive was in the Pacers game; the bench actually had a net positive plus minus rating for what seemed like the first time, the first game. In quite a few, even with that nice stretch of games where we won four straight, uh, Houston, Phoenix, Milwaukee, and L.A., the bench was still kind of up and down, but it was nice to see the bench against the Pacers actually play well. That, that was something that, you know, I, again, we've, we've always harkened to how the bench play can just absolutely kill momentum in a game. It was nice to see the bench play well enough to sustain the lead that the starters had put up.
0: Yeah, so the bench remains sort of the lingering problem, right? The starters, I think, you know, mostly are are rounding into form, still some inconsistency here and there, but uh, I got into it on Twitter a little bit this week uh, with some fans I hadn't talked to before about, you know, what's the biggest need? Is it backup point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, or center? (laughs) Right. And there are some, you know, any one of those, I mean, you could flip a coin five times and, and maybe change your opinion that way. Some folks are adamant that, you know, It's Aaron Baines. He's the wink-link, and he's got to go. But, you know, when I look at it, really, it's the one and the two. For me, it's the the point guard and the shooting guard. We just haven't had anybody step up so that KCP and Reggie Jackson can get some rest now and then.
1: Right, and that was the thing in the Indiana game that we saw 22 minutes of backup point guard play between Spencer Dinwiddie and Steve Blake. And Steve Blake actually played pretty well, 11 points and 4 assists against the Pacers. It's that type of play that's just good enough, and that's really what I want out of that point guard spot, the backup point guard spot, is it just needs to be good enough when Reggie Jackson isn't on the floor. And Reggie has been such a vital part of this team on both ends of the floor that we have to give him rest. And I'm sure Stan Van Gundy struggles sometimes to pull him out of games because it does seem to kind of kill the kind of kill how the offense works and it just seems that putting in Steve Blake or or Spencer Dinwiddie this season is just it just puts that position at a loss Mm -hmm. and and I go ahead
0: well I was gonna say I think it says something too about the system that Van Gundy has in place with this roster it really is heavily dependent on Reggie Jackson's style of point guard play which is you know attack off the pick and roll attack and get to the basket you look at the, the point guards he has behind them Neither one of those guys is capable of doing that. So it's almost as if those guys have to go out there and try to reinvent the offense in order to be productive. And you look at where they're at in their respective stages of their careers, and and that's just not the kinds of players they are.
1: Right. It's too much to expect from Spencer Dinwiddie this early in his career, and he's still a player that I think is is struggling to to make a thirteen man NBA roster. And that's fine. He was a second round pick for us, and someone who was coming off an injury in college. Uh, I liked what he gave us at times last season. But he's someone who's really struggled with consistency, and I think actually would probably benefit from a spell in Grand Rapids, but because of the depth on the team right now, we just we can't have him uh we can't send him to Grand Rapids for very long, knowing we need yeah. another body and Steve Blake, in his advanced age in his what is this his nineteenth n b a season something you, like that I yeah feel like he's he, been
0: in the n b a since I can remember right he's
1: been around quite a while, so it's it's too much to ask of a player who's best days are behind him but he's still giving us quality basketball but again to do it night in night out it's just too much to ask for which leads us to and i'll actually go to the the mailbag for the first time got a question from g uh gba 23 uh what game what specific game do we expect to see brandon jennings return and will it be in 2015
0: man so i'm gonna say not in 2015 and the reason i'm gonna say that is because i think the franchise would be a little bit more um, forward. I think they would present themselves as a little more confident about his return if we were going to see him in 2015. Yeah. So I'm going to be conservative and say um, we're not going to see him until the first full week of January, and let's go with um, January 4 against the Magic.
1: Okay, giving us an actual good. I'm glad. I'm glad you gave this specific day. So a home game against the Magic Monday the 4th. I like that. Um, I think it's it's nice that he's back practicing, and it seems that he's doing things, uh, team activity, basketball activity. That's getting him closer to playing. I think that's nice to see. Uh, I know there was uh, a rumor, and actually something that was posted on Detroit Bad Boys that Jody Meeks and Brandon Jennings could both see some time in Grand Rapids. Do you expect to see that Jennings? Playing. It would make
0: sense, I think, wouldn't it? I mean, look at if you look at Jody Meeks, he missed so much of last season, and then to miss so much of this season it makes sense to utilize the d league let them get some of the kinks out of the system let them get their legs back into them because there's there's no conditioning like game conditioning so to me that would make all the sense in the world you might as well use the resource if you have it
1: yeah i agree with you and this is also something the nba needs to think about and maybe pushing players who are returning from injury of doing stints in the d league because if you want to build up your minor league system you should use it a little like minor league baseball where you can have a starting pitcher go out and get an you know go out and get a start uh, in triple A ball. I think it's very similar to yeah, having Brandon Jennings going playing Fort Wayne for a night and getting 20 minutes and just seeing how he plays in game in game situations. You're right. Mm-hmm. There's no better way to see where he is in his rehab than to see how he plays against someone 5 on 5 in a game situation. So you're right. I'd like to see it too. I think it would be good to it would be good for the D League if more of that happened, if more organizations use their D League that way, and I think it would be good for the player to just get a little bit of time uh, playing like that.
0: Yeah, and there's almost no downside. I mean, y- y- you can send, you know put these guys in a private jet and send them to Grand Rapids and they're there in the blink of an eye true um, there's very you know there's very little risk other than you know you encounter risk every time you play basketball but there's just no downside to it so I think absolutely that would make sense I think it sounds like something SVG might do he seems like he's you know always kind of right on the cutting edge so to speak so it sounds like something he might be willing to try to you know to pioneer and, and test out and see how it works so yeah I think that would make a ton of sense and I'd actually be all for it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you're right that Stan Van is definitely one of the coaches I could see using the D-League that way. And also, if a player has a setback, it's not going to cost the team, the NBA team, uh, anything You know, when that player is out on the floor. So you're right. It's kind of low risk, and there's a, a good reward in that if that player can get back a little bit quicker by seeing what he can do on the floor, then, yeah, I think it's a win for everyone. So, yeah, I would like to see that. I hope we do see Jennings close to the first of the year maybe playing in Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. So if I had to give an actual date, I'll go even a little later than you. I'll say Saturday the 9th against Brooklyn, a home game, and then a few days later we have San Antonio. So if, if, he can come some, if he can come back somewhere in the beginning of January and this team is still holding on to a 500-ish record, I think that's a pretty good situation for the Pistons, right?
0: I think that's a great situation for the Pistons, and I actually think it's a pretty good situation for Brandon Jennings Because if you look at the lack of quality play at the one and the two spot in terms of the bench, there's actually a lot more minutes for him there if they can make him successful at the two spot next to Reggie Jackson, at least in limited minutes. There's actually quite a bit of minutes because I don't think, ideally, you don't want KCP playing 38 minutes a game. No. So I think it could actually be a really nice way for Brandon Jennings to get a lot more minutes than maybe I thought he would have at the start of the season.
1: Yeah, you could still have... Reggie Jackson playing maybe closer to 32, 33 minutes a game. So then you have 15 or 16 backup point guard minutes. And you're right, that that would all be Brandon Jennings. And then you could have him kind of take away some minutes at the two spot too because the minutes for KCP right now, is especially, and I'm, I'm not sure what you think about KCP's play so far this season, but I, I would like to see him get more rest so that he can kind of be that spark plug. And on the nights when he doesn't have his shot, it would be nice if we could go somewhere else. Uh, with, without it being a player like Reggie Bullock who has struggled, uh, or some of the other you know ways we've kind of messed with the lineup to to make up for the time when he's not on the floor.
0: Yeah, there's obviously some some way to be really strategic about uh, using both point guards at at once, and I, I think the most obvious moment is that Re- uh, Brandon Jennings is an offensive minded player. Yeah. Um, with respect to KCP, I love several things about his game. I love how hard he plays. I think he's probably the hardest playing player we have. And that's, I mean, no matter how many minutes he's played, no matter how many back-to-backs, he's constantly giving everything he's got. And he's a fantastic defensive player. Yes. I think he's really lived up to his reputation this season. But offensively, that's where the struggles lie. He he goes cold. And I think certain games where the matchups are favorable, Brandon Jennings may be able to come in and give us some, some offense And some of those lineups where maybe defense isn't quite as important.
1: That's true. And the other thing about KCP is he seems to play, like you said about the team that we play up to our opponents, and I agree with you on that. KCP is someone who really likes the challenge of having to defend a good offensive player. Uh, Montalis the other night uh, was held to 11 points playing over I think it was close to 35 minutes and it was really KCP as the primary defender on him. So he likes the challenge uh, defensively, but again, you can't run him out there close to 40 minutes every night and expect that same type of defensive effort. So hopefully when Brandon Jennings comes back, we can kind of mess with that two point guard uh, that two point guard system that I think a lot of people were excited to see when Reggie Jackson was brought in.
0: Totally agree. And I think the other thing that you might see, if Peace gets some rest, his three-point shot this year has been the worst it's ever been in his career, shooting under 30%. And I think some of that has to be tired legs and fatigue, because I, I think he's a better shooter. So yes, we could get the the intriguing possibility of Jackson and Jennings and what that could look like on the floor. But I think that could also mean that you know KCP gets rested up and we actually see some better play out of him. So it could potentially be a win all the way around for, for all three of those players who would be playing in the backcourt.
1: Yeah, definitely. And before we move on just from the backcourt position, uh, I know you kind of had kind of an interesting take on Reggie Jackson. You looked at kind of his some advanced stats and some of his game splits. Uh, what did you see when you kind of dove into the box score a little farther with uh, Reggie Jackson?
0: Yeah, so... One of the things I've been saying, kind of since the end of last season, is that I think the Pistons will be as good as Reggie Jackson is. I think this, the way that the team and the roster and the offense, offensive system is built, really depends on Andre or on Reggie Jackson being a very good NBA point guard. Um, and so I started looking at some of the splits. So on NBA.com, they have some really helpful tools um, where you can kind of look at wins versus losses, home versus road. Um, how players are performing on various days of rest and so on. Uh, And maybe we can throw a link to this in the recap so folks can get their eyes right on this. But one of the things that will jump out at you immediately if if you do the wins and losses splits is that when Reggie Jackson plays really well, the team is winning. So when wins, he's scoring over 23 points a game. He's going to have over 7 assists a game to just 2.6 turnovers. So that's really efficient basketball. He's shooting 50% from deep in those wins as well and 86% from the line, and he's getting there five times a game. So that's a, those are a lot of numbers, but, but when the Pistons are winning, Reggie Jackson is playing like an all-star starter. I mean, he's playing with, like one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference and potentially in the NBA. However, um, when he doesn't play well, The Pistons lose, and his play drops off dramatically. His points per game drop down to 14. His assists drop down to 5, and his turnovers jump up to 3.6 over 2.6. So we see his scoring efficiency go down the tubes, shooting 34% in losses. Uh, We see him struggle to um, create for teammates. Some of that probably has to do with poor shooting from teammates as well Mm -hmm. but then we also see him turning the ball over so I wanted to point that out because I think it's going to be an important trend to watch if Reggie Jackson is an all-star point guard this team is very good and very hard to stop Um, but Reggie has historically been inconsistent and unfortunately through 25 games that's still the story for him Um, so when he plays poorly he tends to really struggle and that's really hurting the team overall so I think it's still proving true as Reggie Jackson goes so go the Pistons and as Pistons fans we just got to hope we see more of that superstar caliber player that we're seeing in wins as opposed to that uh, not superstar player that we're seeing in losses.
1: You're right and that's such a big difference in the the wins and losses the types of games you're getting from Reggie Jackson you're right and it's something you definitely notice and it does seem sometimes that he realizes that like exactly what you're talking about, that his play uh, has so much to do with the team's success that maybe he forces it sometimes or feels that he needs to do something to bring the team back in the game. And, you know, whether it's trying to get someone involved, who's maybe having a, an off night uh, or just trying to create his own shot. You're right that it's, it's so, so much of, especially offensively is dependent on his play. It will be interesting when Brandon Jennings does come back, and to what extent he comes back, what we see of those splits. If, if the minutes stay close to the same, is he still is, is he still going to put that much pressure on himself to be a part of the team's success? Uh, because we've seen Andre Drummond's numbers has, have kind of stabilized, right? We kind of know now what we're getting from him. It's not going to be those Wilt Chamberlain crazy 2020 games anymore, but it's still pretty good basketball. But Reggie Jackson, and you're right, it's almost night in, night out, depending on what Reggie Jackson we get. That's the difference in a win and a loss right now.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. And it it really is the difference between winning and losing, and that's not an overstatement. And that that literally is the case for Detroit right now. When Reggie's good, the Pistons are a nightmare to to deal with if you're the opposition. But when he's bad, they're predictable, they're stagnant, and they're easy to control.
1: Yeah, that's very well said. And that was exactly what we saw in that Pacers game just last night. Having nine assists to one turnover – uh, completely dominating Indiana, and and looking like the best player on the floor at times. That's what we need to see more and more. And I think about John Wall. And it took John Wall quite a while to realize he wasn't a jump shooter. He uh, To kind of find out how he could create his offense and how he could create for other people. It's really been this last season and a half for John Wall, who's, what, maybe he's played one more NBA season than Reggie Jackson. So I think for players that, that play the point guard position similarly – I always look to John Wall when I think of Reggie Jackson. So I'm hoping he can still grow into this position Uh, and he's coming into the prime of his career. So hopefully he can find more consistent play in his game uh, because if he does, you're right. It's probably, it probably makes him an all-star probably puts him at that caliber of being one of the five best point guards in this conference. Do you think he's in that conversation?
0: I think he has to be in the, in the conversation because I do think on the whole, he's having a really fantastic season. Yeah. Um, He's had some games that are so bad that it's hard to say he's he's there, right? Like he's actually arrived. But he's had some games on the flip side of that coin. Think about the Portland game. Just dominant. I mean, that's yeah. the only way to describe how good of basketball he's played. So he's got to be in the conversation. And I, I think he's got to be in the all-star conversation at least. I mean, maybe he's one of the snubs. And if it, if it were decided today, I think he probably would get snubbed. But I think the fact that he's in the conversation says a lot about the year he's having for the Pistons right now.
1: That's very true. If it wasn't up to the vote and you were just looking at Eastern Conference point guards, there are very few right now that I can say are, are definitely playing better than Reggie Jackson. Uh, Kyle Lowry, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think. John Wall. But then you start to get into, really, it's almost maybe fourth or fifth spot for for point guards in the East that I think he's right there, and part of it too is you know Kyrie Irving being injured and and some players having you know kind of off seasons. But uh, you're right, I think he's he's right there already. But if he can just stabilize his game a little bit more night in night out, you're looking at someone who I think could be you know a, a perennial All Star for a couple seasons.
0: Mm-hmm. He's got a real chance, and then I do think that Stan Van Gundy. Um, I do think he's a very, very good coach, and I think he's proven time and again that he knows how to get the most out of point guards. So that's that's another thing in Reggie Jackson's favor to be playing for a coach like Van Gundy who's got a proven track record of success with the point guard position. You know, maybe we say even some some late blooming where you're saying he's, and you're right, he's entering the, the, what should be the prime of his career, but maybe he'll be able to develop even more in some of those later years uh, given the situation that he's in. And I, it's something I'm hoping for.
1: Right. And with the way he scores, I would like to see him find that Tony Parker second move in the paint where really your your easy layup is kind of broken up. So you have that, you know, floater or something else you can go to. And Reggie likes trying those shots. It would be nice if he could find something consistent he can go to uh, the way Tony Parker has. And that kind of came later in, in Parker's career as well. So I think there's a chance that he can continue to develop. And working with Stan Van Gundy, Again, I, I believe in Van Gundy as a coach. I think he can bring the best out of him. Uh, and the other thing, too, is I'd like to see those minutes get a little bit closer to 30 a game so that he is at his best when he's on the floor, so that we're getting Absolutely. 100% Reggie Jackson when he's out
0: there. Absolutely.
1: Uh, so since the last time we talked, I just wanted to buzz around the NBA real quick. Uh, I know we we want to talk about the schedule, but I just want to talk about the NBA for a second. Uh, since the last time we talked, the 76ers got their first win uh, the Warriors got their first loss. Uh, it just happened. Uh, just was it last uh, last night or the night before against the Bucks?
0: It was last night. Yeah, Greg that's right. Monroe took him down. It we'll was soon. Greg
1: Monroe. Sean Corr must be thrilled. <laughs> <that> Greg Monroe <laughs> in a winning effort. Greg Monroe in a winning effort. That's right. First time that's been said on the show. I know that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, so what? Do you, I, I think we'll play this game maybe every week. What comes next? The Seventy Sixers next win or the Warriors next loss? What do we see first? Oh, (laughs) my goodness. It's a fun game, right? That's
0: hard. Uh, I'm going to go with um, the Warriors' next loss. Okay. Only because I think when you're riding that high and you come back down to earth, it's easy to maybe come back down to earth again. So let's go with the Warriors' next loss.
1: I agree with you. And looking at the Warriors, I've seen quite a few of their games now, and it seems like they're on TV almost every other night, which has been nice because they are so much fun to watch. But. Uh, it seems like ESPN and TNT. That's that is the team I'm constantly seeing on my television um, yeah. for NBA games. But uh, is this a 70 win team? When you look at the Warriors, uh, is is that a 70 win team?
0: Well, they're on tra- track for like 78, right? So, yeah.
1: Boy, <laughs> which is crazy.
0: <laughs> it's crazy. It's almost it's it's seriously like watching a video game when you watch them play. Yeah. Um, I'm torn about that because unlike a lot of Pistons fans, I actually have a ton of respect for that 72-win Bulls team. Yeah. And to in my mind, I was, you know, I was a teenager when that was going on. I sort of idolized that team, and I put them on this pedal stool as greatest team of all time and will never be accomplished. So part of me wants to see the Warriors fail because I have this strange attachment to this team. But the flip side of that is they're a fantastic basketball team. They're, they're coached so well. And in my opinion, every single one of their players is a likable player. Um, yeah. I, you know, the, they're they're likable players. They're good guys. They have fun when they play. And when you watch them at home, especially like every fan wants to experience what Warriors fans are experiencing right now. So, man, they're on track. It's it's hard to see them not getting there. I mean, it's true. It would take sort of a colossal collapse uh, for them to not get there. So.
1: Right, yeah, just having a, a loss here and there, even if it's to a team like the Bucs. The thing about the NBA is there are still, it's it's a little like the NFL where any night a team can play well enough, and that's true for, I would say, probably 26, 27 teams in the NBA to beat just about anyone. Um, so I think you're going to have those losses, but you're right. I don't see strings of losses. I think this team is, is dialed in, and they're focused on on winning games and They're doing it without having to put big minutes on their superstars. And um, what Steph Curry is giving them, he's not having to go out and play 42 minutes a night to do it, which I think is a a big part of this possibly going the entire season. You're right. I I see this team winning 74, 75 games.
0: Yeah. And when you look at what they did last year, it's not a fluke. I mean, no. what they're doing, I mean, they're not going to go out and win 24 more games in a row again, I don't think. But th- they were clearly not a one-hit wonder. They they have some incredible, like historically incredible basketball players on their roster right now.
1: Yeah, and credit to Luke Walton. It's someone who's not getting a lot of credit. And also, I think it's, it's so interesting that he was named Western Conference Coach of the Month uh, for November. And none of his wins actually count. To his official total because he's just an interim in the spot, so it still counts as wins for Steve Kerr, uh, not not for Luke Walton, which is kind of interesting. It seems like he's not getting the credit that he might deserve because his game management so far has been pretty great.
0: Yeah, it was. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but Stephen A. Smith kind of went on a little bit of a tirade about you know Mark Jackson not getting the credit he deserved, and I, I paused and thought about that for a second. You know, think about who Luke Walton has played for. I mean, he played for a lot. The majority of his career, the reason we know who he is is because he played for Phil Jackson and right. carved out a small role for the best coach in the history of the planet. Right. So the dude is a smart basketball mind. It's not like you know he deserves no credit for what's happening. He obviously doesn't deserve credit for the fact that Steph Curry is playing out of his mind, out of this world basketball. But he absolutely deserves credit for um, for at least some of what the Warriors are doing. He's. He's not a fluke either. He knows basketball. He's a smart player, and he'll be head, he'll be a head coach somewhere, right? I mean, yeah, he's definitely. Be.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I would expect that he maybe the Lakers. I think that's that's an uh, organization that would be smart to possibly bring in someone like Luke Walton. And he's just starting to employ certain things. We're starting to see more minutes for those small ball lineups. He's starting to kind of tinker with how he uses uh, his guards when Steph Curry's off the floor. It's really interesting what he's doing with that team, and it's getting them playoff ready. That's the other thing, is what they're doing right now, as long as they stay healthy, is getting them playoff ready. So he's done a great job, and, and you're right. It's He's someone that deserves the credit that he's getting. Uh, yeah, everyone's really, real quick for some reason to give Mark Jackson credit for uh, this Warriors team's success. He, he was a good coach, but I, I think it was Steve Kerr and Steph Curry taking the next step in his career that really started to make the difference for this team.
0: Yep, I agree with you.
1: And you mentioned Phil Jackson. Uh, the Knicks now have kind of come back down to earth, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Are the Knicks who we thought they were?
0: I think they're slightly better, but I'm going to still say outside looking in when it comes to the playoffs. I think there's too many problems there. And when you're getting that much production from a rookie, you just never know what can happen. Um, that's true. You never know how sustainable that level of play is going to be. So, yeah, I mean, fortunately, too, for the Pistons, because that's someone they don't want to have to worry about. I think they probably are. Um, you know, the team we kind of thought that they were going
1: to be. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, coming up uh, in this week for the Pistons, uh, the next four games before um, our next episode, uh, Pistons have games, home games against LA and Boston, road games against Chicago and Miami. Uh, in those in those four games, we're looking at two teams just at the start of that that have been playing really well lately, seven and three in their last ten. Both the Clippers and the Celtics. Um, Definitely tough for those those being home games for the Pistons. Uh, what do you what do you see as our chances against the Clippers, as seeing as we've already seen that team once this year?
0: Yeah, the Clips are a tough matchup for us, in my opinion. Um, Chris Paul, obviously, is a handful. Yeah. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. Uh, and then, of course, they're bigs. Uh, Blake Griffin has a really tough matchup for us at Power Forward. So um, I'm going to go into tomorrow's game with... Uh, low expectations, and maybe I'll be surprised. Um, keep your eyes out for a preview with Clippers blog. We're actually going to have, have them on the blog tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I kind of think that's a tough matchup for us whenever we play the Clippers, and regardless of where.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. It, the first game, it was Jamal Crawford dropping, I think it was oh, my goodness. over over 30. I think he had almost 30. 30 uh, what was it? I can look it up. Yeah, it was Jamal Crawford having 37 points against us. And that's something that the Clippers can't rely on. But it seems that in the last 15 games, they've kind of figured it out. They figured out how they want to use the bench, how they want to use guys like um, Lance Stevenson, and how they're going to break up the minutes for their big three. So that's a team that's that's scary. And out out west, I think that's a team that will stay in that contender spot, along with probably OKC, San Antonio, and of course Golden State, just because that big three is so good. And you're right, that is a really tough matchup for us. So... Yeah, I would like to steal one, of course. Uh, it's, you know, L.A.'s got a—they're on a mini road trip right now, so it'd be nice if we could maybe sting them uh, when they're away from the Staples Center.
0: Yeah, I agree. I Anything can happen. You said that correctly, but, man, Blake Griffin, you look at Anthony Tolliver and Ersan Eliasova, I like things about both of those players, especially Tolliver, because of how hard he plays. But that is a nightmare matchup for our set of power trip. forwards. So yes, yeah. it's, it's going to be tough to stop them.
1: Yeah, and I I wonder if this is a game where you could see... And that's the thing. Blake Griffin's such a tough matchup for anyone that I was going to say maybe Marcus Morris is someone you look to try to tag on Blake Griffin, but even then, that little bit of a size difference and and how Blake Griffin can still kind of be a bully in the paint, it's tough to put a player like Marcus Morris on him. Uh, It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting how we play against the Clippers. And then two nights later on Wednesday the 16th playing Boston... That's a team that's red hot right now in the East, and I think no matter what you think of this Celtics roster, they almost seem destined for the playoffs with how they're playing.
0: Yeah, and every game like last night against the Pacers, like this week against the Celtics, every game against all of those teams who will be battling with for one of those last three or four playoff spots becomes critical because it could very well come down to a you know a tiebreaker because we could very well see several teams. Uh, above 500 basketball not make the playoffs in the east which is a little bit shocking so you know every time we're matched up with one of these potential playoff caliber teams who are looking at you know the five six seven eight seed yeah those games are going to become increasingly important as the season goes on but yeah i agree boston is um i like what boston's done i like what they've put together with their roster i like the way that they attack the game and they're a tough matchup for detroit too no question about it
1: definitely they're one of two teams right now uh, and I'll actually say three teams in the East that are making this playoff picture for the Pistons more difficult. Um, the four, five, six teams right now, the Hornets, Pacers, and Celtics. Those were all teams I thought would be in that 6-10 through 10 mix. And if they're playing for the 4-5 game uh, in the East, what that means is now we're fighting for those last couple spots with Miami and Atlanta. And those are two teams whose rosters I really like and, and feel. They've got good coaches. They know what they're doing. And I think they'll figure it out at some point. Um, Atlanta's just been pretty pedestrian, and it, it's kind of been the, the defense that's let them down in the last 10. Um, but I just worry about those three, and I hope one of them kind of falls a bit because I would hate to be fighting for those last couple spots with the Heat and Hawks. It's not really ideal for me.
0: No, it's not ideal at all, and this is surprising even to me. The top 10 teams in the East right now have winning records, and I don't know when we could have said that the last time. I mean, that's been years. Since the top 10 teams in the East look like they could be winning basketball teams. And then you look at Washington and New York, two games and three games below 500, respectively. The East is better. The yeah. Eastern Conference is better than it's been in some time, and 500 might not be enough to get you uh, playing in the spring.
1: Absolutely. And the West is definitely more top heavy, but you're looking at seven teams with a, a winning record. And actually, the Rockets now at 12 and 12, you really only have six teams with a winning record in the West. Uh, so even though you have the Warriors, Spurs, and Thunder with such great records to start the season, you're right, the East right now is better. It's a deeper conference, and it's definitely surprising. I did not expect that. I didn't expect teams like the Hornets uh, through 25 games to only have nine losses. Things like that so far have been uh, surprises, definitely, to this point in the season.
0: Yep, Charlotte and Boston are surprising me, too. I had them pegged you know, as potentially a little bit inferior to Detroit, and they I think they're proving that they're probably just a little bit better.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Charlotte's a team that defensively uh, is very good. Uh, they've found a way to replace Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and it's been with a player, uh, Nicholas Batum, who's probably better on the offensive end. So, And with the addition of guys like Jeremy Lin, they've kind of shored up their bench play, and that's a team that I, I see staying in the playoff picture, barring another injury. That's a team that's depth- doesn't go much past seven or eight. So if they had an injury to an Al Jefferson for a stretch or Kemba Walker, that's a team that could definitely struggle. And we saw that when Kemba was hurt for stretches of games this season. It's just not the same team.
0: Yeah, and uh, just want to quick say that Jeremy Lin has the worst hairdo I've ever seen in the history of NBA basketball right now. So that that has got to go.
1: And that's saying something in the NBA. <laughs> there, there's some real contenders up there, but you're <laughs> there right. It, I thought what I saw it the first time, it was a joke.
0: I did too,
1: but it's every night.
0: Yep, I looked. I thought, is is that just a prank? Nope, nope. That's that's what he's going with. Yeah,
1: that's a choice he's making every day. Yep. Okay. (laughs) I got. I got. I don't know. He's playing well, so I'll I'll give him some some props. But uh, yeah, yeah. Terrible. Uh, You're right. It's the worst worst hairdo in uh, in 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 the National Basketball Association. It's terrible.
0: It's it's just
1: terrible. (laughs) Um. So let's go back to the mailbag. Uh we've got one more question this week from at bigben 4 Great Pistons Twitter handle. I love that. Um Absolutely. Andre Drummond has been so great so far. Uh Big Ben says he's been uh Andre's been a beast so far. What do you think his stat line is at the end of this year? And he says in parentheses per game. So what per um Ben game. do you see as uh the per game stats for Andre Drummond?
0: Well, I think he's leveled out a little bit. Um I think that sort of superhuman 20 and 20 um, is just that it's superhuman and probably not attainable. He's at so just for for the readers who might not or listeners who might not have the stats in front of them. Seventeen and a half points a game, just over sixteen boards per game, um, just about two steals. I wanted to give a shout out to that because I don't think he just, he gets enough credit for that. Yeah, uh, and just over a block. Um, I would not be surprised if that's what he ends the season at seventeen and sixteen. I don't think his rebounds um, are going to go down any further. I think he's that good on the glass if anything I would see his points per game dropping if anything's going to drop that's what I would see dropping
1: I agree with you and part of that is just you know his free throw percentage at 37 percent I think teams know that and will send Andre Drummond to the line more uh, they'll be more physical with him in the paint and take away some of his easier looks and putbacks. so you're right I see him probably finishing close to 16 and 16 15 and 15 which is a a great season, and what he's doing on the boards is it's definitely the best in the nBA, but you're right it's it's everything else right now that's made him the better player. It's the steals, his defense that we've seen an improvement from uh, his blocks per game at one and a half. If he's a guy who's averaging almost two steals in a block and a half a game, that's great that's big for this team
0: that's huge and it really doesn't get talked about much because his rebounding has been so fantastic. His team defense is still a work in progress; it's still an area he can improve. But those two steals matter because steals often lead, and he'll he gets in the passing lanes. He'll he'll picks he'll pick a guard's pocket, and that turns into a dunk. That turns into easy buckets, and those have been few and far between for the Pistons this season. So those two steals matter; uh, they make a difference, and I think he's. He's been right around there his whole career, so that's a skill that he has uh, that benefits the team and, and helps the defense.
1: Yeah, and you're seeing his defense is getting better. You're right, and he's taking more chances, and he's. it seems like he's more active defensively, that it, it kind of just came down to probably a certain amount of effort that he's applying on the defensive end, which is nice to see, uh, because he definitely has all the tools to be a dominant defensive player, and we need him to be. So he, he has to keep taking strides on that end, and then offensively, what I'd like to see is, God, if I could see forty-five percent free throw percentage next to Andre Drummond for the season, that would be great. Yeah. That right now, that's where my bar is set. Is if I can get forty-five or above, that's that's a plus for me.
0: Well, he's taking almost seven free throws a game, which is crazy to think that's how many he's taking. Um, and then I'll add one thing I think to keep an eye on is as the Pistons get into the second half of the season, if Van Gundy decides to really make the playoff push and not do a whole lot of juggling with the roster, uh, will he do more shuffling between Baines and Drummond at the end of games in in order to try to pull out some of those games? My read of it so far, uh, and the way that he's coached Andre Drummond as a whole this season, is that he's committed to the long game right now. He's committed to giving Andre looks in the post, even though the post game hasn't been consistently good. And he's stuck with Drummond through some of the hack of Drummond situations to give him the opportunity to knock down the free throws. I'll be interested to see the last 30 games of the season. Uh, Does SVG go away from that? Does he put Baines in there, who is a good free throw shooter, uh, to eliminate that as a strategy uh, to try to pull out some of those closer wins?
1: Yeah, it was really nice to see the clutch free throws he made against Phoenix, making two at the end of the game to send Absolutely. it to overtime. That's awesome, but again, it's over the course of an entire game. I just need him to, you know, right now if you're looking at that that um, per game line, you're right, seven free throw attempts a game. If you can just give me one more and we're looking at three of seven, that, that would be a big step up, and it, it it could be the difference in some of these close games. Uh, yeah. But you're right. It seems like Van Gundy is definitely committed to keeping him in the game and giving him opportunities to improve it on the floor. Yep, absolutely. Which is nice to see. I like that, that he's got faith in a superstar. Because I think it might hurt his confidence a bit as a player if he knows the last two to four minutes of every game, depending on how close it is, he's not playing much. Um, and, and Baines could be checking in and out.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a risk there. And we've talked about this in the comments you know, a lot this season. Is this a mental thing for Andre, or is this a skill thing for Andre? my opinion, he's got a nice-looking stroke. His like Compare him to Shaq, for example. Shaq's free throw stroke, it's like Charles Barkley's golf swing. I mean, there's just <laughs> no hope for that. You look at Andre Drummond, and you, you, you see the ball come off his fingertips. He's got a nice follow-through, gets all the way through the shot, and you think, that should go in. And then it misses by eight inches off to the right or something. So right. is it a mental thing or is it a skill thing? I don't know. If it is a mental thing, I think your point is right on. There could be a real risk to his confidence, uh, you know, to be pulling him out of the last four minutes of
1: Right, and just kind of expanding that a bit. <laughs> just kind of, sorry, we, I, somebody just like sneak into the studio, I me, don't you? <laughs> <No worries>. uh, <laughs> but just kind of expanding that a bit, looking at the free throw numbers overall, the team's shooting 65.8% from the charity stripe right now. Which that, is terrible. It's worst in the NBA, and it's by a good a good margin that it's worst in the NBA. Do you expect to see that to improve? Just, just I, I feel like it should improve. Just because no team should be shooting sixty five percent, right? At some point, we should be making seventy plus percent of those shots. Do you see it improving? Oh
0: man! So if Andre Drummond is shooting seven times a game, that's a significant amount of the team's total free throws. Right, right it's close so, to
1: almost a third of the attempts yeah. a game.
0: So if he doesn't improve, there's a really clear limit on how much that can improve as a whole, right?
1: Definitely, because you have really, between Andre Drummond and Marcus Morris, 11 free throws a game at about 52% between yeah, the two of them. T- terrible. Yeah, it's it's not, it's not probably not good enough to see a big jump in percentage. But again, if I could just, just get to 70%, right now that's 5 percentage points, so it would be quite a jump. But if we could just see get get a little closer to the 29th team in the NBA, uh, that could make a big difference in, in late-game situations.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the total team numbers, everybody's fairly respectable except for Drummond.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: everyone else is in the 70s and 80s, and that's really what you'd be expecting. Um, Steve Blake's shooting, he doesn't shoot many free throws. He's only two for three on the season. His percentage is low, but it's only three attempts. So, yeah, I think it's it unless Drummond improves, that's going to be hard to move the needle as a team on that particular stat.
1: Yeah, it's true. Uh, going back to the schedule, I know we wanted to talk about with the Pistons back-to-backs. And you had some numbers on how they've performed so far in back-to-backs. And then I know I kind of wanted to talk about looking forward what to expect with this team uh, and how the schedule is kind of set up.
0: Yeah, so the Pistons over the last couple years have really gotten the short end of the stick with respect to back-to-backs. And uh, when I was doing a little bit of this research, the Pistons were 2-4 and four on the second game of back-to-backs. They've since won. They beat the Pacers last night and moved that up to 3-4. and four. But they still have 11 back-to-backs left. Fortunately, they don't have any more until uh, till January. But those 11 games include the Pacers, the Cavs, the Raptors, the Hawks, the Bulls, and actually the Cavs twice and the final game of the season is on a back-to-back against the Cavs. So if we're mm-hmm. talking about a very close playoff race, uh, if we're talking about needing every single win down the stretch, uh, and, and we're talking about a roster that's been somewhat depleted by injuries where fatigue is a real issue, these back-to-backs could be the make-or-break point for the Pistons. So looking at, again, some of the numbers, thanks to NBA.com's um, much-improved stats section of the webpage, it's pretty clear if you look at zero days of rest for the Pistons, um, really poor shooting. I mean, they're not a great shooting team all around anyways, um, but also an increase in turnovers and a decrease in some of the defensive numbers. So one of the ideas I have is that um, in these back-to-back games, defense suffers because of fatigue. We see that in steals, we see that in blocks, and we see it in opponent points per game. When you're only running really seven deep, maybe eight deep on any given night, back-to-backs are going to be tough in spite of the fact that the team is young. So 11 more of these to go, um, 11 more second games on a back-to-back, every single one of those games is going to matter and really could be a significant part of the Pistons' story this season.
1: Yeah, you're right, and especially if we are having to play KCP, Marcus Morris – and Andre Drummond, 34-plus minutes a game. Those back-to-backs can be very difficult on those players when you're playing 70 minutes of basketball in 48 hours. So you're you're right. When we are thinking about going into March when we're probably having to watch the standings every day, and, and if we're staying in this playoff race the way we are right now, we probably will have to, even into March, watching and seeing how this team is playing in games. Those back-to-backs are going to add up, and those are going to be very important games. So... That's a record that we have to improve. Even if it's just getting it closer to 500, we're going to have to do something about the second back-to-back game, and that's something I think all teams struggle with. But we have to. We probably in the next 11, we probably have to be closer to four and you know four and seven, five and yeah. you know five and five, something like that.
0: Yeah, seven back-to-back so far. Uh, so on zero days of rest, the Pistons are three and four. On one day of rest, they've played thirteen of those games. They're eight and five. Wow! Two days of rest, two and one. Three days of rest, one and one. So the back to backs, man, those are those are tough for a roster like ours that's really short handed right
1: now. Yeah, that's the difference right now in this. uh, Really, to this point in the season, to have that many as well. You're right. The NBA did us no favors with this schedule. Uh, I would like to know how many teams in the NBA through twenty five games have played seven back to backs. That that's crazy to have fourteen of the first twenty five be back to back games.
0: And it's another thing to keep in mind when we look at the Pistons record relative to some of these other teams in the Eastern Conference right now. They've had a they had a very tough first twenty five games. Yes. There's no way around it. And to be fourteen and eleven, in spite of the schedule, in spite of the injuries, I think there's a lot of room to be optimistic for the remainder of the season.
1: Yeah, and that's true. And so far December has definitely been nicer. It hasn't been as tough of a schedule. Uh, but the nice part of December's schedule is just about over. The next eight games that we have in the month of December, we're going against teams Clippers, Celtics, Chicago, Miami. You're looking at six of those eight teams with a winning record, and two of the teams without a winning record included in that. You're looking at the Knicks and Minnesota, who are both playing pretty well right now.
0: Yep, and you've got, you got the Celtics twice. And again, we've talked about this already, so I won't belabor the point, but every single one of those games against a potential playoff opponent is going to be important so celtics bulls pacers celtics twice hawks all of those teams in the four through eight spots it's important to to get those wins if it comes down to um you know if it comes down to ties and tiebreakers
1: yes yeah those are absolutely crucial games well that wraps up this week's episode of the detroit bad boys podcast another episode will be coming to you next week as we continue to Find our own consistency with this show. Uh, we'll we'll continue to try to bring you episodes, new episodes each week. You can find those episodes on iTunes uh, at iTunes.com slash Detroit Bad Boys. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already. And you will notice new episodes are posted on blogtalkradio.com slash Detroit Bad Boys as soon as they are up. And, of course, our home for this podcast, DetroitBadBoys.com, a website that from now until the end of the season you better be checking every day and you'll notice these podcasts as soon as they are up. Ben and I thank you so much for the continued support. So for myself, thank you so much for listening as well as for Ben Gulker. Ben, anything to say to the folks before we uh, we head out for the week? No, thanks
0: for everyone who's listening. Thanks for being a part of the blog. Still one of the best online sports communities on the Internet anywhere, and that's because of the, the community, the people who interact with us. So big shout out to you guys uh, every week for everything you do to make DBB an awesome place to read and an awesome place to hang out.
1: Yeah, definitely. And continue to send in your questions. Hashtag AskDBB. Uh, If you're listening to this point in the show, I'm sure you have questions because you're probably a diehard to listen to 50-plus minutes of Pistons podcast. So send in your questions. We'll try to answer as many of those as we can. And Ben's right. It's a great community. We're so happy to be a part of it. Uh, With that being said, we will join you next week with another edition of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast.